This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh. All month, we're bringing you a summer music series here on the show. On today's episode, Phoebe Bridgers. 2020 was a huge year for Phoebe. Her album Punisher came out to major critical acclaim. NPR Music named it their number four best album of the entire year. Phoebe also snagged four Grammy nominations, including one for Best New Artist. We are bringing Phoebe's interview with former host Sam Sanders back for you because her music, the haunting, soothing, acoustic guitar-filled tracks, got a lot of our team through that first year of the pandemic. Phoebe and Sam talk about success and fame and whether you actually get to enjoy it. And they'll unpack some of the songs and lyrics from Punisher. All right, here's Sam and Phoebe. I gotta say, I am excited about all of my interviews, but really nervous about them anymore. But I gotta admit, I was a little nervous about this one. Because Phoebe, you have been literally the soundtrack to my 2020. Oh my I'm gosh. not kidding. Thank I'm you not so kidding. much. Like, I'm a, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I have literally been walking through the woods, watching my dog chase deer that she'll never catch, listening to Phoebe Bridgers, and also maybe sometimes crying just a little bit. Thank you for the catharsis. I love, I love that so much. I love that that's my compliment. Like, I've signed my, myself up to being like, man, I, I lost it so hard the other day in my car. And I'm like, thank you. You know? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a really timely year for an album like Punisher, which deals with themes of boredom and melancholy and sadness and loss. Like, it's a really timely year for that kind of album to come out when we're all having to really sit with those emotions more than usual. I mean, you couldn't have planned it better. <laughs> yeah, it seemed it seemed like I couldn't have planned it worse. Like in the beginning, I'm glad I wasn't one in the middle of making something or in the middle of a tour, but yeah. I had literally just finished the record. Well, I finished like the last music video for the record like the day before lockdown where we were all like, is this real? Is this wow. what's happening? And then I finished um or I was gonna the next week then fly to Japan for tour. Yeah, it just it's it's been a nightmare, but um, 
I, th- I think people are answering, like, how are you more accurately this year, which oh is God, yeah. so rad. Like, instead of like, oh, my gosh, fine, everything's great. Like, the answer, now the obligatory answer is, well, you know, everything sucks, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. On that theme, how are you as this 2020 kind of comes to a close? I am very lucky. I have experienced nothing other than boredom, no personal losses. Um, you know, again, the collective trauma of reading and watching too much news. Uh, so I'm doing relatively fine. Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm good. I, it's, I actually had been in LA for years and I came back home to Texas around July to be closer to family. And yeah, it's just been like six months of not having a permanent address half my stuff's in storage, a few things are here, and just getting used to that uncertainty. Like, I'm 36 years old now. I'm pretty methodical. And, like, this year has been just flux, 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 flux. But you make peace with it and you're stronger for it, I think. So I'm ultimately fine. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds – it sounds – it reminds me of tour a little bit, that feeling of just being, like, in between – moves or people people who are making big life choices and then are like well i guess it just has yeah. to remain kind of half done yeah. for half and, in half out exactly yeah yeah how much do you miss tour because you've talked about tour and like some of the lyrics in the album are alluding to tour life i can't tell if you love being on tour or hate it or something in between yeah the answer is yes uh, <laughs> i i uh I tweeted at the very beginning of the pandemic and I still think about it every day, which is I can't wait to hate tour again. <laughs> Actually, I, I went on like a small press trip in New York in February and mm-hmm. I was ha- having that kind of like welling up overwhelmed feeling where, where I was like, oh my God, like I'm asking for it again. I'm going to be miserable again. I'm so busy <laughs> and I'm, and I like, I'm the, I'm the queen of kind of leaving my dop kit in a hotel room and not realizing it for three days and having my manager like uh, ship it to the other, like just having all your, it takes so much to be a human being in just day to day life. But on tour, you're yeah. like, Oh my God. I'm did moving I- your humanness to a new <laughs> spot every day. Yeah. You're like, did I leave my wallet at the loves truck stop or just, it's like mental math every day. Um, mm-hmm. And now I'm finding myself really romanticizing that and missing it. So I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to like be grateful for this time, but also, uh, I miss tour so much. Yeah. I would go on the worst tour on earth right now if I could. Really? Yeah, if I could snap my fingers. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird time to be a creative, though, because, like, you have more time to create. You have more time to sit down and write songs if you want to. But so often, I think what sparks creativity is serendipity. Yes. And chance encounters. Mm. And those are just happening less. Like, have you found this year to be more inspiring as a songwriter or less? I I think I'm always kind of the same. I think that was slightly dis- <laughs> I think that was disappointing because No, it's not. It's fine. <laughs> but because being on tour you feel like you're having an affair with music where you're wow. se- you know, you sneak backstage for 20 minutes and you try to hash out a little idea that you had or um like my song Savior Complex I wrote in my sleep on accident. Like just the melody, I could never, I could never write words in my sleep. But, but I had this. Weir- I woke up with this weird melody in my head, 
And there's mm. something so romantic about that. But yeah, you do wish you had more time to hash it out. And then like every other person on Earth who makes stuff with their brain at the beginning of COVID, I was like, can't wait to write my five albums uh-huh. and... And I think I've written like exactly the same amount of songs that I did last year. I don't. Really? I don't want to say I'm slow. I think I'm deliberate. Like I'll. There you go. I'll. Uh, I had a therapist say that to me once, and I was like, I think, <laughs> "Yes, because because I have. I'll draft a song first. Like I, I can write a song fast, but then my favorite version of it is after I've thought about it every day for like six months." And the weird little phonetic, like I'll, it's just so unrecognizable to where it was in the beginning. So, so I think uh, instead of writing a lot of songs, I write the same song like five times. And then the fifth version is always sort of my favorite. Which song on Punisher was the most worked through like that? I think it was probably the last song on the record. The I Know the End song. Somewhere in Germany, but I can't. Man, I hate this part of Texas. Close my eyes, fantasize. Three clicks and I'm home. It was just this super miserable song that my drummer and I were writing about breaking up, which is also, yeah, I love music. Because y'all that dated. Yeah, we, we dated and. Um, and then wrote a broke up song together, Phoebe? Yeah. Yeah, and we. Oh my God. I know it's so. It's, <laughs> You're better than me. You're better than me. <laughs> but you had to go. I know, I know, I know. Like a wave that crashed and melted on the shore. He had this like miserable, miserable couple verses, and I just didn't really resonate with them. I mean, maybe there it was. It was his experience. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I probably wrote like five different versions, and then three years later, literally, I I was like, I I want a song on the album with a crazy outro, and um, and then I yeah, that song is a piece of everything because it took a really really long time to write some of it, and then the last piece just kind of came super fast. Like that whole hmm. outro section is just. Um, like I, I just sat down and wrote it. It gets cacophonous. It gets louder and louder and yelling and yelling and screaming. So that came easier than the than the earlier stuff in the song. Yeah, yeah. Like I have all the ideas. I'll even have them not connected to a song. I'm like, okay, I want some. I want a crazy outro, and I want to scream, and I want it to sound like Sufjan Stevens. And I want to have fake cheering at the end of the song. Um, <laughs> I was I was reading Her Body and Other Parties at the time by Carmen Maria Machado. And she has a story called Inventories where she, it's like all the people that she slept with during the apocalypse. Okay. I think it's like a zombie apocalypse, but. Um, Love it. And the way that it ends is she's on this island writing in her journal. She's writing lists to keep herself sane. So just the sleeping mm. with people list is is a list. But she mm-hmm. ends up on this island alone. And and I guess I thought if the world was going to end, I'd go up to 
like Big Sur. I, I spent a lot of my childhood in Northern California. So um, thinking about where like the fictional place I would escape to kind of. Wow. Big yeah. Sur is a nice pick. Oh, that's great. Wow. And so what do you want listeners to take from a song like that? That it, like it's it, it's about breakup and it's about apocalypse and it's also about just like the primal scream. Like I hear so many themes and ideas when you talk about this song. Like, what are you hoping the listeners leave that song with? My hope always is that I can be universal in specificity. So I love hearing what other people take from things because it puts me in the position of pretending like I'm smarter than I am when someone's like, it rem- <laughs> it reminds me so much of this, this, and this, or this time in my life or this book that I loved. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's, That's what I was going yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so I think I just kind of like, it takes me a really long time to figure out what I wanted initially. Um, my favorite thing about songwriting is that, is stuff like this where I'll, maybe it's the, you know, back of my mind or, uh, I'm not really intending to put a point across and then later I'll realize what it means. Um, But I I drove up to Big Sur like at the beginning of October and Mm -hmm. just by myself um, for like no reason. Uh, And so I think I had been really thinking about it um, and the world is sort of ending. So, uh, so yeah, it's like even more fun to sing now. (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and it's like you talk about that specificity like on the latest album on punisher what does it the most for me is probably chinese satellite i've been running around in circles pretending to be myself when you sing i've been running around in circles pretending to be myself Somebody do this on purpose when they could do something else. And then you say, Drowning out the morning birds with the same three songs over and over. Drowning out the morning birds with the same three songs over and over. I'm like. Was she watching me? (laughs) How does she know? And like, I wonder when you're writing that specifically, is there a barometer for you about how how specific to get, how detailed to get? Because there's a balance to strike, right? Because you don't want to write something that like no one will understand, but you want it to be specific to you, I'm guessing. I'm realizing that people don't always know what I'm talking about, which is very uh, (laughs) weird. I think I just assume everybody knows what I'm talking about all the time. Um, But it is a matter of personal taste. I've definitely stopped myself from, you know, just like reading the nutrition information on the back of like a pack of Fig Newtons or something in a song. Um, (laughs) Like just. But you know what? If you made it a song, I'd probably like it. Just like the balance of, am I being boring? Am I being annoying? Am I being uh, kitschy? Am I now a cartoon of myself? Um, but I don't, I don't really think that stuff until like three days after I I write something. Okay. 
what's the thing you're most afraid of conveying in a song? Like, what do you fear conveying in a song? Ooh. If anything. Yeah, I think, I think actually I'm afraid of accidentally conveying my own privilege and brattiness. I'm afraid of, okay. I'm afraid of putting my genuine soul into a song and then having someone be like, what's her problem? Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? And, and I hear that in like some of my earlier music and that's, give me an example. Um, <laughs> I have like a really old song called waiting room where, yeah, I wrote it when I was like 16 and people find it every once in a while and tag me in it or whatever. And I think I'm just huh. one, it's super sincere and, and I meant everything, but it's so emotionally raw and I'm so pining for someone. If you were a teacher, I would fill your class, take it over and over till you notice me. I had like the best high school relationship where it was not fumbly. Yeah, it was so (laughs) just, yeah, it's like that doesn't happen. And I think the fact that I'm complaining so much in the song is especially in retrospect, like, dude. You're fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so I think yeah. I'm I'm afraid of myself in five years hearing Punisher and being like, "What are you talking about?" Coming up, more with Sam and Phoebe Bridgers on creating new music during a strange and difficult year. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from The Run-Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about another song on the album that's really, really quite specific. Uh, Kyoto, which is about your dad and your relationship with him. It paints a picture right away. I've been driving out to the suburbs to park at the Goodwill and stare at the chemtrails with my little brother. He said you called on his birthday. You were off by like 10 days, but you get a few points for trying. And I hear this song. Well, one, 
the first time you hear it, you hear a happy song, not these sad lyrics, right? But then two, I hear those lyrics and I totally relate to it, even though that wasn't my dad. My dad wasn't like that. We had a different relationship, but I get it. <sighs> Who were you writing that song to? Are you writing it to a certain type of listener? Are you writing it to your dad? Are you writing it to yourself? It's kind of everyone. I think that there's a desire uh, to, it, it's almost like closure to have, especially a song you're proud of, singing a song like that every day and having to have conversations like this is weirdly its own form of therapy. You know what I mean? You're right. like, this is a thing in my life that should probably be examined um, mm. and I should stop projecting this character onto partners or people I meet. Mm. Um, but it's funny because there are pieces that are about my dad. There is like a piece about my grandpa that's more, this is so funny. That's that's kind of more the missing the birthday thing. Like mm. my, my dad's always very good about birthdays. And uh, we've like been talking again during COVID, mm. which is so weird, but. You and your dad. Yeah, so nice. He okay. also. We have never discussed the song. And then the other day he called me and was like, so we got a Grammy for our song. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man. I love that we, I love yeah, that we. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. For listeners who don't know Kyoto yet, and they should know it, how much can you describe what your relationship with your father has been like is now to set up the context of these songs and those lyrics? It's a very weird combination of like emotionally unavailable, but very present uh, Mm. in in a weird way. And I think as an adult, I'm just kind of like looking back with more sympathy for my parents, um, mm-hmm. which is great. Feels great. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's nice to not feel like emotionally trapped all the time with, um, stuff that you carry into your life. Like, I think I was angry for a long time and I'm, it's, it's, the song is basically about like not being angry anymore. Which is a good way to feel and a good place to get to. Totally. A thing I like about your music and your songwriting is that you will quite often respond to listener questions about your songs and your lyrics, which is like really cool and nice of you. And you don't have to do that. From what I can tell, half of the internet thinks it's a metaphor and probably less than half know that that actually happens to you. The lyric and garden song when you write, the doctor put her hands over my liver. And she told me my resentment's getting smaller. When I first heard it, I was like, Woo! Oh my God! Oh, this is this is it. And then I was reading about it, and you were like, No, that just actually happened. Yeah. Uh, 
I have this like nutritionist lady in LA who, you know, at risk of sounding like every LA person on earth. I think she literally <laughs> saved my life. I was okay. I was going through a thing where every time I went on tour, I'd get sick immediately. I'd get mm. I'd I had to be on antibiotics like five times one year. And someone mm. recommended her to me and I went and she just hit me with some like you take this every day now. You don't eat sugar and you don't drink. Oh my god. And I wasn't even drinking. I'm never that gonna much. go see her. Totally. <laughs> yeah. <And> that's, <laughs> that's that's what I thought. I was like I was like, I literally eat like five packs of sour Skittles a day, which I'm serious. I really did do that for like years of my life. But wow. She said that to me once and I feel like sometimes she can't tell when she's about to make me cry. Uh, but mm. but that definitely made me cry. And then like one time uh, we were talking about something and she was like, are your palms sweating? And I was like, yeah. She was like, good. Like we were talking about something kind of traumatic and she was like, you're working yeah. through it. Your palms are sweating. Was, wow. So very like witchy. Wow. Awesome. Oh, yeah. She, she but also, also like, I love that. She also told me I can't be a witch because I was a witch in a past life. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love this woman. I love like, this woman. That's my favorite thing she's ever said to me. For sure. Like, no more witchcraft. Like, you were a witch already. I, I didn't say anything oh about witchcraft. In that moment when you're at this healer's office and she places her hands over your liver. Where exactly even is your liver? Somewhere down there. Yeah. In the moment that she tells you that she feels your resentment getting smaller. What's your first thought? What's your first reaction laying on that table? Well, she told me to write a letter to my dad and Holy. was like, that was the first time. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to do that. And, <laughs> you know, I, uh, she made me start drinking less coffee, but I, this is all pretty extreme. I was, I was drinking like 10 cups of coffee a day. Um, Phoebe. I know rough. I was, I was very anxious. Um, and also she said that to me without any context of my life. Mm. Uh, like she, she, she does definitely have some weird yeah. stuff where I'm like, yeah, are you look, read my email? <laughs> like what's happening? But, um, so we had talked a little bit about resentment and stuff. And then she said that to me out of nowhere, you know, in the middle of telling me to eat more salad or leafy greens <laughs> or whatever. She was like, also your resentment's getting smaller. I can feel it. And, and I just, to be recognized in that way, it's like when your therapist tells you you're doing a good job or you're doing the best you yeah. can, and you're like, oh, yeah. what? Well, it's also like cute waterworks. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. When I grow up, I'm gonna look up from my phone and see my life, and it's gonna be just like my recurring dream. I'm at the movies. I don't. Predict what's going to be the soundtrack for 2021, at least thematically. We're going to be in a different mindset, I hope, once that vaccine hits. I think we deserve a summer anthem that everybody loves. You know, like the song that comes on in the bar that everybody is obsessed with for one summer. Um, uh, My friend Morgan Martinez tweeted something about how there should be like, uh, you know, there should be like a COVID night at nightclubs where you 
play all the music that nobody got to dance to in 2020. Dude. Yes. Which I think is genius. Yes. Um, yes. I think that the, like, I've already written songs that are pretty obviously about being in quarantine or isolation and stuff. Um, and I hope that we are choosy with that genre of like writing about now because it's so hard because it's so universal. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, maybe there'll be like some beautiful album that just encapsulates this whole year. Like there are going to uh-huh. be a lot more weird recordings. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get our, like maybe we'll get next year's like Bonnie Bear for Emma record out of that. Okay. Which would be sweet. But also a summer anthem too, because we got to have that. Yes. Yes. Let's like bring T-Pain back for a little while. Exactly. That's what we you need. You know, he could do it. Totally. Oh my goodness. I could ask you so many more questions, but I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your day. But I got to tell you, Phoebe, this was this was just a treat. Uh, I really can't thank you enough for your music. Sometimes the timing of the art that we find and consume is just perfect. And I think it was that for me this year with your music. You really gave me permission to feel in a very real way. And I cannot thank you enough for that. Oh, thank you so much. I feel it's very weird that I haven't met you because um, I feel like your voice is just on when I'm alone all day. So, so uh, oh this has been, yeah, very surreal. And thank you. Thanks again to Phoebe Bridgers and Sam Sanders for this chat. This episode of It's Been a Minute was originally produced by Andrea Gutierrez. It was edited by Jordana Hochman. Listeners, take good care of yourselves. I'm Elise Hugh, and we'll talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. The elite security researchers at Arctic Wolf have unveiled their essential insights inside the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Discover the attack vector behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com NPR. That's arcticwolf.com NPR. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.